0: This podcast has been produced by Spirit FM, your proper local radio station that's been serving the West Sussex community for 24 years and now, more than ever, Community Matters.
1: Welcome along to Spirit FM's VE75 special, a podcast to honour, celebrate and remember those incredible people that made victory in Europe possible 75 years ago. With the help of Project 71, a charitable organisation whose sole purpose is to support World War II veterans, and the Facebook page Clap4VE75 Initiative, we have at Spirit FM been given the opportunity and honour to talk to some of the heroes who fought in the Second World War. The stories that we will hear today include that of Stanley Northeast, who was on the beaches on D Day. So when
2: Eisenhower said go, the naval boats opened fire. As soon as I started that, the Germans opened fire from the other side. And of course, that was it. That was a massacre.
1: Derek Grubb, who volunteered for the RAF at the age of 17, but continued to complete a 34-year career. I, I loved it. The flying, was I thought,
3: was magnificent.
1: What was the best aircraft you got to fly, in your opinion? (laughs) We'll hear music from The Silhouette Show, a group of vintage performers who were doing something very special for the VE 75 celebrations.
0: We have a very exciting project that we've been working on for the past few weeks. We have a uh, a companion show for VE day So it's a show that anyone will be able to access as long
1: as they have internet. And Fred Lee shares how he plans to celebrate the 75th anniversary even during lockdown.
4: It's something that one has to celebrate. I've already got my flags and bunting ready to put out my window.
1: But first, the 75th anniversary of VE Day is a time of not only celebration but also reflection, remembering what men and women went through to help bring about victory in Europe. Percy Lewis joined the first Oxenbuck's Light Infantry in 1942 at the age of 19.
5: On the 1944, I landed on Sword Beach at four o'clock in the afternoon. After all the infantry and that had gone through, our job was to clear up the beach and make sure that it was all right so that more troops and fuel and ammunition all come in. And then we got um, all, all broken up, and I got transferred into the 1st Battalion of the um, Black Watch, which is our Division. We was on our way up to Rouen, There was a river and we come across this river jerry dug himself in one side and we come up this side and they started morphing and i got a shrapnel in my left ankle so i was evacuated and eventually ended up in stafford hospital for uh, i think about two or three weeks then back over to france up into belgium and up into holland and uh, we'd advance up into this small village at night time. I was a wireless operator carrying an 18-set on my back. The officer says to me, you keep close to me, I said, right, sir. So anyway, we we stopped at this village. Everything was all right, so the officer said, "Right, radio back, we're staying here for the night. I said, right, sir. But when I tried to get through on my radio, I couldn't. When we're advancing, with shells are dropping, I snapped off my aerial rods, and I couldn't get any communication, so... The uh, officer said, right, you'll have to go back. I said, right, sir. So I started walking back. I walked along there and somebody shouted out, hold. I said, friend. Nothing. So I walked a little bit further on. Somebody shouted, hold. I said, friend. Nothing at all. On the left-hand side of us, there was a load of cottages. They sort of sloped away from the road. One of the doors was slightly over and I thought, ah. So I walked towards this door and a German stepped out with his rifle on me. And uh, two... German paratroops came out from the uh, two doors down, took me round the corner, down into a dugout full of the Germans. They looked me out, took my gear off of me and, and dumped it on the floor. Then they uh, took me out up the steps. There was an officer, a German officer in front, and then me and a soldier at the back with a rifle in the back, so we started walking down the road. I could hear a load of firing going on. I thought, oh, I better know that's where I came from, and our blokes have had a bit of a bust-up. After the war, I found out that there was 12 of us up there. I was the only one that came out without a scratch. The rest of the guys got killed or wounded, so I was bit lucky there in that respect. Anyway, they took me back to this big castle, Took me downstairs into the dungeons. that were there, and there were all Germans are cleaning all that kit. And there were two chaps there, covered me to foot in mud. They was asleep, but God, oh, did they smell! when they woke up in the morning i said birdie what happened to you two and they said well we were walking down the road we saw two germans who ran after them and we ran straight into a bog and that's why they were made the in mud and uh, those two chaps i stuck with them all the time i was in the prison camp eventually they'd captured about 12 or 14 of us and they said right your chaps are getting a bit near we have to go so they marched us to a railway station a train came along it was all cattle trucks with all barbed wire around and we ended up in Brenneshalven in the marshing yards, and we hadn't had anything to eat for three days. They led us out two at a time to grab our potatoes to rub the dirt off and eat eat them raw. So I ended up in Stalag 11 me at Fallingbostel, where I was a tank prisoner of war. They never ill-treated us at all, but the only trouble was we was all starving. I, I was ten stone ten when I got captured. I was six stone two when I was released in 16th of April 45.
1: To be such a young man to see and experience all of that, it must have just been. Been, must have been terrifying in parts. Well,
5: I think the worst time really was when we was in a prison camp, we having no food. That was the worst part yeah. of it. Yeah, I hadn't had another two years in the army before I was demobbed.
1: So, do you remember where you were when Victory in Europe was announced? Home on leave then. So, were you and there uh, for the celebrations and the street parties?
5: Yeah, we had dysentery bad naturally but they laid on so many parties you couldn't you couldn't even drink a drop of lemonade else it went right through you
1: what does v day mean to you now 75 years on
5: it seems a bloody long time ago i tell you I'm pleased that they keeping it going because not a lot of us left now, you see. We're all getting on. I mean, I'm 97.
1: So, Percy, what will you be doing to celebrate VE Day, the 75th anniversary this year?
5: Well, we can't do anything. We're, we're confined to barracks, aren't we? The only thing I can do is to talk to a couple of three of my friends and see if they're all right on that day and that was it be it.
1: Once COVID-19 is over, fingers crossed, a celebration for you all will be put on and we'll have some what? belated street parties in your yeah, honour. Yeah, I hope it soon and they find a cure for it, you know. Percy, thank you so much for your time. That's been no. absolutely lovely of you. Oh, thank you very okay. much,
5: Millie, for talking to
1: me. No, it's been absolutely my pleasure. World War II veteran Percy Lewis there. As we were remember the incredible journeys taken by incredible people that helped bring us victory in Europe 75 years ago. Now, Stanley North East was called up at the age of 19 and joined the RAF. He starts his story on the 6th of June, 1944,
2: D-Day. I said, uh, we won't move anything until we get the command from headquarters. And the man in charge then was Sir Eisenhower and Montgomery. So when Eisenhower said, go, the naval boats opened fire. As soon as they started that, the Germans opened fire from the other side. And, of course, that was it. That was a massacre. Everybody was uh, come from behind these battleships to make this landing on the beach. And, of course, you just didn't know what was going to happen next. You didn't know it was your turn or your boat next to you. They just shot them down like like skittles, they did. As you were going across there and trying to make this landing and that, you didn't know whether you were going to be the next one or not. You just had to keep going and keep going until you got to these tapes where they'd already done quick red, red, uh, white lines each side. Just like enough room for a lorry and that to go through. So you must keep in between the white lines all the way until we got onto the main road, which is on the road to Bayer. So we had to get up there. You didn't know whether you were going to make it or not because your mates were falling left, right and centre each side of it.
1: That must have just been absolutely terrifying for you.
2: You could quite understand. Nobody can say they weren't frightened. I was frightened, but we got up onto the street, onto the main promenade, which was the main road from Bayer. To calm. I've never seen so many dead bodies in all my life. As we got along the road there, over above us were the flying fortresses. The Americans were bombing, bombing left, right, and centre all the time we were there. And of course, they were moving the Germans back every moment they could get. We moved on further on so we could make our way further up into France to a place we were on. Before we got there, we had to go through Cannes. Well, that's where the German pencil divisions were, biggest part, you know.
1: The tanks, the, yeah.
2: You understand what I mean on yeah. that? They murdered so many English people in that, all around and that all round and that. They were piled on the sides of the road. This, the, this digger in the front was just pushing the bodies aside so a convoy could move through on the way to Rouen. So you understand what it was like. Yeah. All those dead bodies each side of the road, and you never see too many in your life. Well, I don't want to see them again in all my life.
1: Absolutely.
2: So, so, so we moved further on into into Rouen. All the different units went their different ways. Well, their unit was a, was advanced signals for homing in the planes from France to England and in, and back to from England to France. That was their, their job. Well, as we got further, on, I mean, we we got to a place... I think could try. It was a, a nunnery. There's an English speaking sister in there called Sister Palomina and she was absolutely brilliant to us. We couldn't do enough for her. Oh. But they had no electricity. So we hooked up her a, a generator. So, they could have electricity, and they were, they'd done everything for it. So after we hooked them up with electricity. So.
1: so, Stanley, after seeing such horrors of war, what did it mean when, when victory in Europe was announced?
2: We crossed the Rhine. We crossed the Rhine at Cologne. Well, we stopped there at a place called Nordorn, and we stayed there for a, very, a couple of days. And uh, the flight charge came along, he said, to, we just had confirmation that the war is over. So no, nobody knew what to do. We just carried on as normal, you know, doing everything possible. And that next day he comes along and he says, uh, three or four of you, says have been uh, detailed to fly back to England. with the mob, he said... Uh, You've been picked out the air, so you better go and pack your bags up and get ready.
1: What does the anniversary, the 75th anniversary of VE Day, what does that mean to you, Stanley?
2: It's going to be remembering, isn't it? Yeah. Remembering all those friends of mine that have gone, I should never see again.
1: And what will you be doing to celebrate? You must remember,
2: I'm 99 years old. I, I think I should be watching mostly of, of it on TV, i shall. sure.
1: On behalf of everyone that's listening right now, I just want to spread my heartfelt thanks to what you did during the Second World War for your part in bringing victory to Europe. We thank you so, so much.
2: Well, it's a, it's a pleasure. It's nice to talk to somebody like you which understands what we're trying to say, but we don't very often talk about these things now, you know. You you think to yourself, when you made that landing on that beach and that you were talking to them and the mates were with you all that time and they just gunned down, they just fell beside you. You just had to keep going and that's all it was doing. do.
1: World War II veteran Stanley North East now, we're going to stay with the RAF because that is where Derek Grubb ended up when he volunteered for the war effort at the age of 17. In 1944, he was a pilot flying Kittyhawks fighter bombers, in Italy until his plane was shot down.
3: I was the only one in my squadron that got shot down that day and I never met any of the others in the, the prison of war camp.
1: Uh, and which prisoner of war camp were you kept in?
3: Stalag Luft 7.
1: Is that in Poland? That's right. And where were you when peace was announced in Europe?
3: I was at Stalag 3. We were on the Long March in the middle of winter from Poland up to about 35 miles south-souwest of Berlin.
1: How long did that take?
3: To be perfectly honest, I did keep diaries, and we just kept trudging every day.
1: That's what you were doing when peace was declared? Uh, Yes,
3: I had my 21st birthday just before.
1: What was the feeling among you all when that was declared?
3: Well, we only got it on on the grapevine, as it were, peace. And then, of course, the Russians came, and they liberated my camp. We just woke up in the morning and I found there were no Germans around.
1: (laughs) Did you always know that that was going to be the outcome?
3: Well, we knew we were going to win, but we didn't realise that we would be liberated by Russians. The Russians came through quite quicker than they... The did.
1: Were you just then told that you could make your way home or were you put to work again?
3: Oh, no, those Russians hung on to us. A, a convoy of either an American or a Canadian camp pulled up lorries on the road outside the camp and to be met by the Russians with their rifles, saying, get back on your side.
1: <laughs> Not a warm welcome then.
3: Oh, no, it wasn't a warm <laughs> welcome. They were very good with us, but, I mean, they weren't having these people taking us away from them until they were sure there were no Germans among us.
1: So for you, the, the celebrations didn't start for a while?
3: No, no. We got another fault, right? The, the Russians allowed the lorries to come back in. We clambered aboard them and went back on the Allied side.
1: And what was the first thing you wanted to do when you got back on that side? Eat. What were you eating in the in the prisoner of war camp?
3: A certain thing we used to call whispering grass. It was a, a soup and the vegetables and it were um, the leaves, carrot leaves and weed leaves. We had the leaf, and the locals at the fruits.
1: <laughs> and you just had the leaves that were left over. <laughs> it must have been harrowing for you. So when you, you did get back, you had a good feed, and then what did you do to celebrate when you got home?
3: Well, I was with, with my family, of course, and we had a bit of a celebration because that almost my 21st birthday. And then... Uh, I was asked what I wanted to do, and I said I'd like to have a conversion course and go back flying again. And they said, all right, you can do that if you want to sign on for four years. So I signed on for four years, got a refresher course in flying, and went on Spitfires.
1: So you continued with the RAF? Yes.
3: While I was doing the, the four years, I... I, I got up to a and uh and then I, I was asked if I'd like to have a permanent commission and I accepted a permanent commission and uh, served for
1: 34 years. Wow, 34 years. So, Derek, it is fair to say you have seen a lot. I, I loved it. Flying, was, I thought, was magnificent. What was the best aircraft you got to fly, in your opinion? Oh,
3: Spitfire. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and looking ahead to May the 8th as it approaches, what will you be doing for VE 75?
3: I don't know what I should be doing, to be perfectly honest. I might still be locked away in the
1: house. Oh, bless you. Are you on your own, Derek, or do you have family with you? No,
3: I, I, I live on my own.
1: Well, I have no doubt you'll get lots of calls, and as soon as, as lockdown is over, you will all get together and feel that sense of camaraderie again soon.
3: Oh, yes, we have we have a meeting every month. It's very nice, and it makes you feel better, too.
1: Derek, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Uh, thank you very much. No, I mean, thank you, darling, thank you. World War II veteran Derek Grubb, just yet another incredible journey undertaken by an absolutely incredible man. Now, many services and celebrations of the 75th anniversary of VE Day had to sadly be cancelled due to COVID-19. But one group of women wanted to play their part and ensure that everyone had the perfect soundtrack for their stay-at-home parties. Karen Etherington is the director and a performer in The Silhouette Show.
0: Primarily, um, we perform vintage material from the 1900s through to the 1960s. So we cover the wartime eras, we cover the Roaring Twenties, we go through rock and roll, and we also cover Motown and Soul as well. But obviously, at the moment, it's, it's the wartime
1: era that's really important. So you must have the most wonderful array of costumes, can I just say? I have a lovely wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, you've mentioned it's the wartime era that we're focusing on because, of course, with Victory in Europe, 75-year anniversary. This was set to be a very busy time for you, wasn't it?
0: It was due to be actually, I think, our busiest weekend to date. We were due to be performing at, I think, over 12 events across Dorset, Sussex, Hampshire, right, right across the south coast. But unfortunately, all have obviously been postponed
1: because of covid19 but you want to do something special in its place don't you
0: we do yes i mean for us the main enjoyment from performing at community events is seeing people of all ages joining in with the music the music from the 40s we find is incredibly morale boosting we enjoy performing to our veterans it's a very respectful thing for us to do we also enjoy seeing children joining in with the music as well. They may not have heard the songs before. So for us, it was about still being able to reach as many people of all different ages that we could in the only way really we can right now, which is online.
1: And what have you got up your sleeve? We have a very exciting
0: project that we've been working on for the past few weeks and we have a, uh, a companion show for VE Day, so it's a show that anyone will be able to access as long as they have internet. It's a show they can view at their leisure in their own home. The important thing obviously is to stay at home and the whole video has been filmed in isolation so nobody has left their home to film it. It's going to be a sing-along companion, shall we say, something that you can join in with your families at home, enjoy the songs, uh, remember our veterans
1: and, and use it to celebrate VE Day. It's such an absolute wonderful idea and like you say it's free to get involved and and to sing along and have it playing in the background and uh, how can people access it
0: there'll be two options available it will be available on our youtube channel which is vintage trio and it will also be available on our facebook page which is the silhouette show so either option you'll be able to view the video in full
1: now is it true that you've got some special guests appearing we
0: do we have some very exciting special guests i'm not sure if I should say. <laughs> um, we approach some people from across the community who we have worked with in the past. They're all part of our journey to where we are today. They're all people who've shown us support in the past. and we worked alongside to raise awareness for various charities and causes and we're very excited that they have agreed to join us. One of the best parts of our show is our sing-along. We enjoy as I say watching everybody join in with us and enjoying the music. So it's seemed wrong for us to perform without having the community aspect of the show so the only way again to do that was to invite some of our local friends to join us in the video
1: oh you're being incredibly cagey <laughs> so is it going to be a case of people have to watch the video to find out who i
0: think so yes i think there'll be lots of familiar faces on there there is shall we say a troop of chaps from the Bogner area you may be able to see on the video that will be joining us I think that's all we can give away.
1: <laughs> oh, you're such a tease. I absolutely love it, Karen. So when will this be streamed from? When can people start accessing this? The plan is to stream it from 12 o'clock on VE Day. So
0: it will be there all afternoon for people to use as it slots in with their own
1: stay-at-home party. Karen, thank you so much for talking to me. And also thank you so much for allowing this project to go live online for everyone to embrace. That's really lovely of you. <laughs> Aaron, the director and a performer in The Silhouette Show. So, the 75th anniversary of VE Day, as I have mentioned, is not only a time to celebrate, but also to reflect. Fred Lee volunteered at the age of 17 and joined the Royal Navy in
4: 1943. Well, I had two brothers already in the Navy and one in the paratroops. I mean, the thing was, I didn't have to go in the war because when I left school, I joined a company which made boilers and I was a boiler maker's apprentice. I was exempt.
1: <laughs> How did your mother feel that no, you, she you didn't. volunteered?
4: She tried all sorts. To get it stopped, but it didn't. And all I can say for that is at the end of the war, all four of us came back.
1: Which in itself is amazing. You did have some part in the D Day landings, didn't you?
4: Yeah, when I went over to France, I went on watch at four o'clock in the morning, and I didn't come off until eight o'clock. I'd done my four hour shift in number one boiler room, and when I came off at eight o'clock, oh well, there was. First thing I looked out, and I saw all the dead soldiers in the sea. I mean, we were a mile and a half off the beach, but we'd already landed one-dollar troops that I understood at 7.25 in the morning. That was the 231st Brigade that went into uh, Gold Beach. It's unbelievable what went on with all the shells going over the top and bombs dropping round you and shells dropping round you, And we're just off the beach when you talk about a mile and a half off the beach, it isn't very far when you look at seas.
1: And as a young man, that must have been terrifying, for Fred. I would, uh, it
4: was, really. Uh, it's hard to believe, really. But, yeah.
1: yes. And then you move forward to the 24th of June, and you, your job, you were actually switched at the last minute. and it, it was a hugely you. lucky escape for you, wasn't it?
4: Yeah, it was because I was on what they call dog watch six till eight. And our chief stoker came down to me and said, Fred, I want you to stay on for a couple of hours because it's your relief. He said, he's not well at the moment. Anyway, I came off at 10 o'clock and I went down to the mess and our Killick, as we called him, he said, Fred, tonight, you and Jack Mundy, action stations, port side, after the engine room. I said, I'm oh, starboard watch. He said, do as you're told. Us. We're on port watch with Jack Mundy tonight. I said, oh, all right, so Jack and I, Yes, went up on the port side, after the engine room. And uh, then just before 12 o'clock at night, we just heard our guns rattled off. And then there was a huge bang, and the German guided bomber hit the starboard side.
1: The side you and, were meant to be on?
4: Yes, and all those killed were on the starboard side. As I said, was eight killed, and 26 injured, fortunately, nobody knows why. We tipped over on the port side and took all the damage out of water. And so we stayed afloat. There was an American torpedo boat tied up alongside us. And uh, Jack and I went out there and he said, "Oh, let the line go. I'll go and see if I can get some help. And off they shot. And at four o'clock in the morning, an American hospital ship came up alongside us, took all 26 wounded off, one of which died the next day. And uh, a couple of tugs came along and started to tow us back to the Isle of Wight. And on the way back, we buried the eight sailors at sea, which was even a little bit more distressing than the actual D-Day landed, you know, to see our own boys.
1: Fred, where were you on VE Day? We
4: were actually in Rangoon. We'd done the invasion of Rangoon on the 29th of April. We stayed there. We didn't leave there till the 13th of June, but we didn't do any celebrations. On VE Day out there.
1: What does the anniversary mean to you now, 75 years on?
4: It's something that one has to celebrate. I've already got my flags and bunting ready to put out my window. And I expect I should go outside my apartment and I should probably dress up in my uniform, not my Sainz's <laughs> uniform. <laughs> <laughs> Blazer and whatnot, go outside. And I expect one of my children will come along and take a photograph of me with all the flags flying.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your story today. It's absolutely incredible what you did, what you went through. You're an incredible man, an amazing man. Thank you so much for that. That's right, thank, thank you so much. Enjoy your celebration on the yes, 8th of May. Yes, thank you. World War II veteran Fred Lee. Now it's time to hear from our final veteran. Mick Jennings volunteered for the Royal Navy aged 17. Even though he was in a protected job, he wanted to play his part in the war effort. Mick was given the role of an electrician on tank landing crafts and was sent to Slapton Sands to prepare for the invasion.
6: That's where the Americans, we work with Americans, we did landings. That slapped on the sands. It was just practising. Yeah. It was a similar beach to Utah. It was very flat. And that's why they picked it as a training. I don't know whether you may have heard. In that time, I think it was April before June, three American landing ships went out. And unfortunately, they got caught. Two e-boats came out and caught them. And they sank one and made a terrible mess of another. So about 700 people lost their lives. That was before Uh, D-Day. But it was all kept very, very quiet because. I didn't want the Germans to find out. Of
1: course. So coming to D-Day itself, did you? You went along with the Americans?
6: Yes, we did. We loaded up, which we didn't know again whether this was going to be a practice run. So it started, but weather got bad, and we had to put into Portland. It was stopped for a day, and then we went off on the sixth.
1: And what happened when you landed?
6: As we went in, there were some explosions on the shore, and Americans. We looking at it and they'd had experience in North Africa and one of them said to me, oh, that's 88, 88 millimetre shells and, of course, when we let them off, it's very shallow there and the tide went out, so we got stranded and in that time, there was a few shells landed but. <laughs> <laughs> very, very luckily, they, they they just went each side. and did a few uh, shrapnel holes. I decided not to stay. I and mean, I ran up the beach and, and jumped in, I sort of dug out with the American there. I'm not quite sure what his job was. I thought he had to be a beach master or something. I, I, I'm always getting ribbed about this because he, he had a Hershey bar, so he shared it with me.
1: <laughs>
6: the tide went right out, and then when it slowly came back, we managed to get afloat again because none of us got injured, which was very fortunate. And then we anchored out just off the beach for the night where we could see what was going on ashore at night with traces from the fighting. And I I said then, I'm glad we're we're out here. uh, And then we went back. And anyway, after that, we carried on ferrying troops backwards and forwards. We went to Aramonche which they built a harbour. You've probably heard of the Mulberry Harbour.
1: Yes, yes, I have.
6: Which was devastated by a storm, but it didn't affect us because we could land it on the beach. And then after that, we went back and we picked up another load and gradually went along the coast until we finished up at the Havre. On our way back, unfortunately, we ran into the rocks and it ripped something at the bottom, but we got a tow back. To Paul and and in it. So I got taken off, and with all the other members, eventually gone up to Glasgow pick up a craft which should have been destined to go to the Far East, you know, because Japan hadn't surrendered then. And that's really where I finished up in Gotland until I came down for the Mob, which was 1946.
1: So Mick, where were you when Victory in Europe was announced? Do you remember where you were? Oh
6: yes, well that, that was it, because I was sent to Glasgow to pick up this landing craft that would have been sent to, to, to be Japan. And if I can remember rightly, I was in Glasgow, and it was, I think it's called Glasgow Cross, it's a big like Trafalgar Square. So that's when I heard about the victory and also a speech by Churchill. Uh, Do you remember
1: about... how it felt, though? Were you, were you elated? Were you relieved?
6: Oh, yes. I'm not really that brave. We lived in Surrey when the war started. I was about 14, I suppose. And laying in bed when they started bombing, and you could hear these blooming bombers coming over and they had a funny noise anybody that's heard it and you could tell it and the sirens went and I laid in bed and I used to think oh dear I wish it would stop these. <laughs> as I say I, I, I'm not particularly brave well Mick
1: I think you're incredibly brave and I'm fairly sure every person would have been laying in their bed listening to that sound thinking exactly the same thing as you so don't ever put yourself down Going forward 75 years, it's obviously the anniversary of VE Day. What does that mean to you now?
6: Again, it's such a long time ago that if it had happened earlier on, I would have been only too pleased. Well, I'm, I'm still pleased. The, the fact that, it, it, that people aren't getting bombed and, you know, it's all resolved itself, fortunately.
1: Thank you so, so much for your time and thank you so much for your service. Oh,
6: thanks very much for that. That's,
1: nice. That's very nice. World War II veteran Mick Jennings there. You've been listening to Spirit FM's VE75 special, remembering the incredible things that men and women did to bring us victory in Europe 75 years ago. Lest we forget.